Geek News Reviews, commentary, not just another podcast, on the Ordinary People Podcast. I will see you there or I will see you on another time. That's very confusing. I don't know what, if you're going to come or not. I'll be there. All right, I'll see you, I'll see you then, bud. All right. Latest on the men, Jay. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast, episode 46, all the geeky news you can use. Coming at you from the West Coast, this is Kyle A. Bear. I'm an anime and video game voice actor. And your co-host on the East Coast of the World, Steve, and I am a pop culture historian. So right before we started uh, recording this episode, apparently I made you like nearly choke to death as you were uh, taking a hit on your uh, bong there, I guess. My, my little pipe, my little glass pipe, but... Yeah, you can't do that to a brother. You got to give him a heads up. If he's taking a hit, you can't make him laugh. <laughs> it hurts like fuck. Yeah, for those who don't know, Otherworld Steve here uh, is on the East Coast, uh, on the like the Boston area, and I'm in Los Angeles, and we're ta- we're on Skype, and we're not even on on video feed. This is the audio call that we're talking to each other on. I have no idea when he's puffing away on his pipe. So if I make him laugh during an inhale, apparently. That's kind of like a death sentence. I, I've smoked some harsh stuff. It's normally not a big idea, uh, big deal. When you take a hit and you make me laugh, it's it's like uh, scrubbing down the inside of my lungs with sandpaper. Ralph has done this with Kevin Smith before too on on Babylon. It's like what uh, strain is Kevin on this week? So I could ask you. Unfortunately for this show, I'm back to the regular what they call dirt weed street stuff. But. Um, Earlier in the week, I had some white rhino, and I hope to get some more of that. That's uh, it's not a new strain. It's probably one of the most popular of the uh, the strong strains. And uh, yeah, that was nice. That was different. And uh, I hope to talk more about that when I actually have some for a show. Is it me, or does every single strain of weed sound like a band name? Well, you get some boring stuff. There, there's blueberry and bubblegum, and you know. But yeah, uh, you want it to sound exotic and, and enticing. Uh, I guess Snoop Dogg is going to be starting his own line of the chronic. Uh, I'm, I'm so out of the jargon, though. When I was growing up, we used to call it Bud. You know, I want a bag of Bud, I want some Bud, smoke some Bud. Now they call it Flowers. And I have a hard time with that. I don't think I'm ever going to call it Flowers. And uh, I kind of get to put my foot down and say, Fuck all y'all that are saying flowers. Seriously, that sounds so stupid. <laughs> I look at our chat room, which usually goes live when we record our new episodes, uh, typically on Wednesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Uh, one of our chat regulars, Hero004, says, wow, this is way better than the Shia LaBeouf live stream. But those of you who didn't know, Shia LaBeouf has decided to, uh, or already did by the time you guys hear this, uh, screened all of his movies back to back. And uh, he just pointed a cam at him and you could watch the live feed of him watching his own movies in a theater. And anyone could go to this with a free admission uh, at a a theater in New York. I I read about it when it came across my social media feed. And I really, honestly, legitimately, I don't understand it at all. I don't think you can even begin to understand the enigma of Shia LaBeouf. Is this this what happens when people get into acting young? You know, we've heard a lot of horror stories about child stars, but... Is that what happens when you're still young and impressionable? Does this really fuck with your head that much? If it's all an act, like Joaquin Phoenix, when he went on David Letterman a few years back, he was like in character of a total burnout and everything, and he never broke character. Granted, he's a great actor. That's why he never broke character or laughed or anything. And Letterman was just like, are you for real? And I wonder if like him and a handful of his close friends know it's like, hey, watch this. I'm going to be relevant again in social media. Watch this. But I wouldn't want to become relevant from being really weird. You know, he he had a breakdown last year or the year before. I forget how long ago it was, you know, where he was wearing the brown paper bag on his head and saying really weird, obscure, random things. Um, I don't know how much of it's an act. He doesn't necessarily have a reputation for being somebody on hard drugs. I, I do know he, he likes to drink uh, occasionally. But it just the behavior just seems really bizarre and i don't know if that helps your career in hollywood or if like you said it's like hey you know look at me i'm I'm gonna be relevant again it could be cold hard calculated or he's just that fucked up actors are crazy especially when you talk about different forms of method acting and then uh heath ledger's uh accidental overdose after portraying the joker it does really fuck with people and I was serious about what I said about the child actors. It doesn't seem very many of them 
come out of that into adulthood unscathed. I hope he's fucking with people, and, and I hope he's not experiencing uh, a certain form of mental illness. Yeah, the whole plagiarism thing. Still better than Corey Feldman. It's a great catchphrase. Still better than Corey Feldman. Hey, that would be a great uh, catchphrase for our show. The Big Ball Broadcast. It's still better than Corey Feldman. We may have to start having a, a good catchphrase. That's a, that's a good social media contest. At BB Broadcast, if you want to give us a catchphrase. The Big Ball Broadcast. Blankety blank, 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 blank. Fill in the phrase there. Give us a slogan. We'll, um, we won't give you shit for it. I mean, we won't let you win anything cool. We'll just go, hey, that was awesome. And then we'll use it for one week and then totally forget about it because we're old. Yeah, I'll talk about doing some kind of giveaway on Twitter or something and then totally, totally ignore it by next episode. That's what we did, actually. What, a month or two ago? We had a contest and it just kind of went away, <laughs> but nobody brought it up again either. So it's 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 the listeners' faults for not staying on our toes and not holding us accountable. <laughs> Let's go back to what we, we talked about last week real quick, where it would be really great to do... Uh, not necessarily an all episode, but but to do a good chunk of an episode doing listener feedback. So seriously, kids, send us your feedback on Twitter, on Gmail, thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com. And uh, if we do get a substantial amount of feedback, we'll, we'll pull somebody at random. And I will send you uh, the first two slim boxes of Dragon Ball Kai. You're willing to just... Get out of your man cave long enough to, to slosh on down to the post office and, and drop those puppies to, a, to one lucky big ball broadcast listener? I work really close to a post office, and that's part of the incentive. And the other is, in the interest of full disclosure, they are open. I, uh, I did watch a couple. Uh, they haven't been abused or anything. They've, they've been in my uh, probably my computer drive once. So cats didn't yeah. shit on it or anything. <laughs> yeah, they stink like some bud or flowers, these fucking kids today. But uh, yeah, it's about the worst you're going to endure. Maybe some cigarette soot. It might smell like white rhino just a bit. And you go, mmm, that smells like white rhino. Someone else in the room goes, oh my God, I saw them in 73. They were awesome. It's weird. We had a rhino band here in the city that was pretty popular. And I forget if they were a white rhino, black rhino. They were something. I just, uh, I, I couldn't use an animal name and a band name personally. White zombie, black Sabbath. Initially, before I understood that White Zombie was a Bella Lugosi film, I thought it was a pretty racist statement coming out of Rob's mouth. I was reading on Blabbermouth.net that they're doing like a new vinyl box set for next year, including a lot of old shit. When they even they sounded more like a punk band when they first formed and everything. It's like, all right, that's interesting. That's cool. They even I hadn't I know I I had forgotten that it's been so many years. They broke up in '97. That's a long time ago. It was almost 20 years ago. Holy shit, it was 18 years ago. But I, I did dig them. I, I dug the fuck out of them. And uh, yeah, you're going to be curious now about some early shit coming out. I'm looking at our chat room. Once again, Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific on otakulife.net slash TV. That's a link that we put on our at BB broadcast Twitter account. So that's easier. We'll just send you to Twitter. You can join us, and we see the tweet. You can click on the link to join our chat room. And uh, hello, Frank Chasm. He says, what's up, Steve? I'm usually in here as Frank Chasm. He's, he's now logged in as Francisco. You can log in with whatever name you want, obviously. But uh, good on that. Oh, Hero004 is addressing the um, Shia LaBeouf thing. It said, it's kind of like he's directly injecting his celebrity into people to prove the point that people are interested in mundane things that celebrities do just because they're celebrities. Or he's bored or crazy. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking toss the coin, you know. <laughs> Your cocaine and whore says, does there any one of any one of you hear a heavy bass in the background? Yeah, I got to address that. Okay, so I have loud neighbors. I have dancers that live upstairs. Not strippers, but like dancers. They do dance routines. And they're always practicing. And they always get their music cranked up loud. The reason I don't go upstairs to complain is because I know they could they could say, what about you? You scream all the time. Because I'm like doing, you know, Call of Duty type video game auditions where I have to like, you know, incoming, get down, you know, do all that stuff and sound like I got PTSD. Some poor, you know, soldier who now lives in an apartment and never emerges. So it's like, all right, I let it go. Let it go. I do the frozen thing. And uh, yeah, so they got to tolerate me screaming because that's my lifeblood. And I'm sure that's their lifeblood. And they, I've heard through the grapevine that they're going to be moving soon. So hopefully the new neighbors won't be cranking the bass, the bass, slapping the bass 
uh, when we record a podcast. You guys could think of it this way. It's kind of like it has its own soundtrack, but you have to, you know, the only way you can hear it is by putting in earbuds. You know, now again, I'm going to be curious to listen to this show once it gets posted. I don't hear it on my end through the speakers. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. And I hope Kyle, you have some actual exotic dancers move in upstairs. Once these people move out, <laughs> we'll have some new special guests on the big phone broadcast. I would do a show with a smile on my face. Oh my goodness. If you are in the exotic dancing industry, I want to be a guest in the big ball broadcast. I have a lot of questions for you. Fun times. My fiance would be thrilled, I'm sure. You know, Kyle, it's about providing valuable information to the public at large. That's how Howard Stern got away with it for years. He was happily married at one point, and he had strippers and everything on his show. It's like, this is entertainment. This is important. We are improving the state of mankind. When you have chicks on your show, like, literally getting off i don't know if that crosses a line but (laughs) is it considered a live sex act or is it radio theater it's not really theater of the mind it's kind of theater of the slime if you get my meaning ew and on that note (laughs) do we get any feedback speaking of inbox from going back to something you said 10 minutes ago because i'm that add i checked yesterday we didn't have squat you guys listening to our show send us something i don't care what it is it could be about anything (laughs) just let us know you're out there how's that for a desperate host that was pretty good. <laughs> that was that was almost the buff levels of breakdown. We'll do a live stream of us clicking refresh on our Gmail account. <laughs> Has anyone written yet? No. Cocaine and Horrors is saying send us something a couple hours ago. I didn't check it today. So we can uh, move on to some of the news we have for this week, and, and I can try to locate that. You could do that when I, when I say my five-second replies, since you're going to have to be really, really fast to log in, because we have two Gmail accounts, boys and girls, thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com, or bigballbroadcast at gmail.com. All right, so lovely geeky news uh, happening this week on our social media feeds. I noticed that uh, the wonderful, wonderfully awesome, talented Joel Hodgson uh, recently came out and said uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, could be coming back, but uh, they're going to go a different route this way. Fill in the gaps, boys and girls. Crowdfunding. You know, and, and as I've been saying, I'm not necessarily opposed to that because I think that answers the whole uh, supply and demand question. If people really want it bad enough, they'll they'll throw some money at it. There are some weird things about this uh, proposed relaunch of mystery science theater 3000. And uh, well, let's, let's talk money first. Apparently $2 million for three episodes and $5.5 million for a 12 episode run. Those are just some fucking crazy numbers. And I honestly don't know how those numbers get justified, but more so none of the original cast are going to be returning on camera. They are uh, executive producing and script writing, but it would be uh, different people and different voices of the robots. Part of the justification for the money is that they would like to do some more recent films. And I guess licensing for more recent films could be really expensive. But I kind of dig the the older shit. I kind of dig the whole, uh, the original spirit of it. So I don't think you have to go crazy and start gobbling up rights to like Star Wars and shit to riff it, but not that they're going to do that. But you know what I mean? The way that the internet and streaming media and the way the shift in the entertainment industry has, has gone budgets of shows. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Marvel will, will throw tons of money at their own shows. Of course, agents of shield, you know, that's a, that's a high dollar show. Most sitcoms are, you know, a two camera setup and this, that, and the other, a show like mystery science theater you know, first started what on cable access and then, you know, it was on Comedy Central. It had a slightly bigger budget, but probably not that much bigger. And of course, they got, you know, either um, public domain movies or anything, and that's how they were able to pull it off. And then once that went away, you had uh, several guys like Frank Conniff and everything from the original cast go off and start riff tracks, right? I mean, that's my understanding. And then they could, you know, just do audio commentaries and sell those as riff tracks. And then you just log in your own movie of Star Trek or Jurassic Park or, you know, whatever, and time it just right and play the audio commentary with that. 
I figure people were okay with that and Rift Tracks themselves, which I think is separate from Joel Hodgson. You know, they've had successful runs with um, Fathom Events, you know, with live one night um, live uh, movie roasts of of older f- films or even just direct to video shit to put it into context uh, apparently there was an update yesterday that i missed that i'm just reading now and uh, variety is reporting that the reason for the reboot is that shout factory has acquired all the proprietary rights for the show from best brains incorporated so this reboot is being brought to you by shout factory and not necessarily because the original creators wanted to bring it back but they did say that uh the old gang will possibly produce right and make cameos thank cocaine and whores in our chat room which always gets hands down the best screen name ever who says mike nelson kevin murphy and bill corbett do riff tracks joel and the rest did cinematic titanic live shows for a while which was pretty awesome to see yeah i imagine i mean you could just tour that shit around the country just like you know kevin smith's you know live comedy tours and whatnot packing houses packing comedy clubs packing theaters it's a reason to get off your ass and and go out and see a show nothing wrong with that but yeah with those kind of numbers does it say anywhere on the kickstarter if it's network tv eyeing this or would it be cable again or just on demand kind of like you know the new star trek oh yeah it's cbs oh but it's cbs all access in 2017 that's their web outlet it's not actual broadcast tv you know i'm sure it's there somewhere and if it's not in this article it's probably on the kickstarter for it so for now i just say kids go go read the uh the kickstarter because i'm not gonna find that answer in a good steve is too baked and we just don't care that much about it we just report the news we don't want to back it up with anything (laughs) you know we don't want to do all the work for you we'll we'll point you in the right direction but you know for the most part you guys are adults or, or should be with the mature content warning so you know do a little work yourself I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if you're listening to this podcast, whether it's a live stream on Smart Go Internet Radio or on demand, you've downloaded it to your phone or tablet, you've got access to Google right there. Just type in Kickstarter and Mystery Science Theater 3000. It'll come up. You can see how much money they've raised, all the cool perks involved, and um, Joel's very thorough explanation of where the show was, where it where it's been, where it's, where it wants to be. And, and all that. And, you know, you can sit there and say, okay, well, that's a lot of money. And then suddenly they're funded, you know, two days into the 30 day campaign, which, which floors me. You know, you had Zach Braff fund his indie film, uh, and, and raise millions of dollars. Veronica Mars, same thing. I mean, there's an audience out there. People have the money. It's just they're very picky choosy about where they're going to throw it. You know, I, I did go over to the Kickstarter. One day in, they're pretty darn close. Right now, they're shooting for the $2 million to get three episodes uh, produced. And they're at uh, almost $1.3 million of that $2 million request. So that's pretty fucking impressive. They do have some good answers to some good questions. Like, you know, if the show is canceled, why bother bringing it back? And they go in depth about some of that stuff. They do have their stretch goals. Again, $3.3 million for six episodes. $4.4 $4.4 million for nine episodes and $5.5 million for 12 episodes. Yeah. Now, and it's great with crowdfunding when it's successful like this, the way that it is, they can go to a network pitch meeting and say, Hey, look, the fans, obviously here's the hard numbers. They have, they have funded this. You guys don't even have to cough up the money for a pilot. We've got the money. And it's like, Oh, okay. It does make it more appealing. I think from a network or an, or any sort of outlet, whether it's YouTube or, Amazon or Netflix at this point. There's there's all sorts of options out there. And again, I, I kind of dig it. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Um, last episode, we were talking about uh, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman wanting to bring a, a Dragon's Lair movie to fruition, and I've been keeping an eye on their Kickstarter, and I don't think that's going to happen. So I did invite them to be on the show and talk about it, and neither of those old fucks got back to me, so... <laughs> and you think they are now that you called them that <laughs> well you know i i thought it would be a professional courtesy if you're trying to get as broad uh, of exposure as possible about this project and, and a couple dudes and a big fans from a, a somewhat reputable podcast network says hey we'd love to have you on and, and talk about this and then when it, they don't get back to you i'm kind of like ha 
Now I'm laughing at your failure, you old fucks. What if they do happen to reach out at one point and someone does their research after they show up on the show? <laughs> like, oh, you guys should talk to us. What? If people haven't figured out by now that uh, I was Stephen Colbert before there was a Stephen Colbert, th- this is just, it's my podcast persona. I'm not this much of a dick in real life. Yeah, so so Dragon, Dragon's Lair is also on Kickstarter. Google that. Go to their page. Look at their awesome perks and everything if you want to see that happen. I know people want to see that happen. Maybe not to the same extent that MST3K, but you know, I didn't realize that it was not about the characters. The same ones coming back would be like all new ones and everything. Like, oh, that puts a different spin on it. Some of the feedback I've been reading has come right out and said, oh, you know, if, if it's not from the original guys, then you're not getting a dollar from it. It's kind of a weird thing when somebody else decides, oh, yeah, that was a good idea and we are going to take that over. But I guess if you're buying the rights, then they have to kind of agree. So I don't know. At BB broadcast is our Twitter, the big ball broadcast at gmail.com or big ball broadcast at gmail.com to uh, send us links and content ideas, questions, comments, suggestions, feedback, all that cool stuff. While we're talking about the nostalgic goodness that is MST three K let's talk about the nostalgic. Well, it is what it is. <laughs> the format Betamax. We thought it was dead uh, years ago because porn kind of decided uh, where we would go format-wise. I think that also happened when DVD first emerged, <laughs> our uh, HD DVD versus Blu-ray, and uh, Sony pulling the plug on yet another format that um, was, was, was pretty inspired and actually technically superior to VHS back in the, the late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, I, I think you put it out there. Thank you, porn, because porn <laughs> solved that uh, format war. I had no idea that Sony was still producing Betamax. It is a 40-year-old analog format. And the Japanese conglomerate said it would stop shipping its antiquated Betamax video cassettes as of March 2016. Now, uh, I don't know if you also remember Micro MB cassettes, but the company also said that they're going to be... Uh, dropping that format as well at the same time. Now I had a mini disc, which I believe Sony invented in like the mid late nineties. And I love that. And I was a DJ at the time and I would use it for portable recording. And then that went the way of the dinosaur too. And, you know, just because it, it goes away doesn't mean it was a bad product. It's just the market is what it is. Betamax technically a superior picture quality to VHS, but if porn industry is sitting there saying, yeah, people want to jerk off to, on this format, it's just easier. Like, oh, okay. Same thing, you know, top-loading machines that cost you nearly a grand back in the day. What was the most expensive VHS you had? Do you remember? My parents bought one, a Panasonic. The first VHS we had in our household was like $1,000. I don't remember VHS, but I did, for a brief period of time, have a LaserDisc player. And uh, it was certainly superior to VHS, and it was probably, uh, well, definitely uh, pre-DVD. But yeah, I, I plunked down probably way too much than I should have for a few Laserdisc uh, movies. Also interesting to point out, if you've ever looked at the physical size of a Betamax tape versus VHS, Betamax is smaller. So you had better quality, it would take up less shelf space, and yet we went with the lower quality. But, I mean, we we are an MP3 society, too, that compresses the shit out of audio so we can hear podcasts and music streaming and, and so on. In reading this article, what I also wasn't aware of was that they were selling Betamax recorders up until 2002. Now that vinyl, it's not just a couple of people and, and hipsters in, in a dusty old record store anymore. It's actually kind of taken off. You know, and even cassette. You know, you have record store day twice a year, and now cassette day happens, too. Metallica put out their very first demo on cassette. I think I ordered that too. I got to see where it is. It's not even like a valid marketing gimmick. You know, it's an inconvenience. I don't have ready access to a cassette player. You know, it's like it is adults. It's like a Star Wars trailer. Give it a couple days. It'll be available online. So, you know, if anything, I'll download Metallica's uh, cassette demo into MP3. Listen to it in my car that way. I have a a stereo uh, Pioneer system that has a USB hub on it. And I, throw my thumb drive on there and that's how i listen to my music actually i'll give them this metallica did say they eventually reissue it on vinyl and in cd and all that so there will be a high quality version at some point if not already i haven't followed it that closely but i do remember that they 
for cassette day, they wanted to put out something special for that to commemorate the their original cassette demo, which was circulated in like eighty two. And and honestly, um, present company included, I think vinyl's a hipster douchebag thing. <laughs> there's so much data out there that says you know there there's no validity to the higher fidelity or anything when it comes to uh, vinyl audio. So. I mean, yeah, whatever your kink is, to each his own. If you enjoy it, you enjoy it. But uh, it's not going to have a comeback. I'm not going to have a 45 player mounted to my dashboard like they did in the 50s. No, it's not going to overtake MP3s or streaming or any of that now. I don't mean comeback as in it's going to overtake and be the number one seller or anything. But, I mean, the sales figures, yeah, 10% or 6% of the industry, it's like, but that's a market improvement over where it was. There was a time where it was 0%. You had CDs coming the primary thing. We thought nothing would ever happen. Nothing would ever top the quality of that. And then no one really gave a shit about quality. As long as it didn't sound like it was underwater, if it was compressed just just barely enough to save a file size to, 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 to put it through uh, Napster, LimeWire, and all those lovely services that, of course, Metallica was famous for shitting on its fans over. How funny is it that we don't even hear about that anymore? We don't even hear about um, them going after movie pirates anymore. I don't know if it's still a thing or not. I'm not saying, hey, kids, you know, try the system and go download a bunch of movies tonight. But um, I've been tempted. I've, I've seen some new shit popping across some of the, the feeds and it's like, well, I haven't heard about you suing the fuck out of anybody lately. Maybe I need to download uh, the Blu-ray rip of Ant-Man. Speaking of movies, you had some movies uh, come out recently. Someone greenlit and sat there in their marketing genius and thought that people would want to see this. Uh, but the box office numbers don't lie. Steve, tell us what flicks uh, got yanked from cinemas recently, and you're just going to have to wait for Netflix or home video probably sooner than later. This is a kind of weird phenomenon, I think you have to admit, because we've been talking for some time now about movies making tons of money, and I'm still very confused about how the the fourth entry in a franchise can be one of the highest grossing films of all time. Um, But then now, in one week, we have this weird phenomenon happening twice, with uh, major motion pictures getting yanked from cinemas. And the first is uh, the Steve Jobs biopic that was dropped from more than 2,000 theaters after poor box office performance. Um, first and foremost, I really have no interest in watching uh, a Steve Jobs film, but I guess what really hurt this one was kind of twofolded. And the first was we just had a Jobs biopic not too long ago. Um, and, and from what I've read from the reviews of this one, this one doesn't tell anywhere near an endearing story and doesn't tell the story of his struggles and successes. So that's kind of sad. The movie dropped from 10th to 15th place at the box office within a week period, and it only grossed um, $16.7 million since uh, its initial release. That's really, really embarrassing. Um, More understandably, I think, and we all saw the handwriting on the wall with this one, is uh, Gem of the Holograms. That was yanked completely uh, from theaters and this one's only grossed 2.2 million dollars thus far on a budget of about five million dollars to an individual two million dollars is a lot of money for most people anyone who's not rich two million dollars but that is considered a disappointment on a national scale when you make less than half of your budget yeah that's a little scary granted it's not you know avengers money it's not three million dollars into a film that's only taken five back but yeah when when you're putting five up and you're not seeing that back but i thought traditionally we we let them run their course and and saw what happened um i don't know do you save money is there an incentive to take it out of theaters i might take because i'm not too uh in tune with the movie industry is fuck it leave it out there for as long as the run was intended and maybe you might take in, you know, a couple more hundred thousand dollars. Recently, I went to see the latest Paranormal Activity movie, and I got stopped by uh, a marketing person and asked me, just fill this out, uh, just a quick question. Would you, as a moviegoer, uh, see a film in a theater if it were on video or on demand uh, a few weeks ahead of time? And I said, well... If I liked the movie and I thought it was worth experiencing in this in the theater, which granted is a different experience than at home, then sure. I, and there was a representative from Warner Brothers, and I thought that was really really interesting. That maybe they are kind of just dipping their toes in the water as to seeing what is the pulse of the people 
in terms of a movie going experience. You've seen some indie flicks uh, come out that way. They, they, they'd come out the same day that they are in some art house theaters in New York and LA, but you could watch it on demand at home or within a matter of weeks or just bypass the theater experience altogether and make it only on iTunes, for example, or, or, or something like that. I wonder if more theater chains and or movie studios might be eyeing that now that we're such an on-demand society. If this was something that was pitched to Netflix with this, that same budget, which I think is reasonable for Netflix, who knows? It may have done a little bit better. But uh, for some of it, it just, A, it seemed really rushed, really, really rushed. B, it seems to really stray from its source material. Um, C, it's part of this all, you know, what can we reboot now? Transformers and G.I. Joe had a relatively uh, successful uh, theatrical run. Why not Gem? That, that was of that era and probably on the same network. I get all that. But but if uh, the backlash was immediate after the first trailer, there was insane backlash. And that's when the director said, well, you can't judge a movie by its trailer. And it's like, what fucking planet do you live on? Because that's the whole purpose of the trailer. So we can uh, judge it uh, an early formulation from what you're showing us. So, yeah, no, I, I agree entirely with every, everything you said. I think there should be d- uh, different distribution models for different tiers of films. If I was to release something relatively indie, yeah, absolutely. I, I can't rely on uh, box office numbers to survive. I'd, I'd have to do a digital release, uh, same day, or strictly digital. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're going to keep figuring this out as we go. It, uh, as I keep saying, this is a very, very... Uh, awkward time in having so many different uh, media formats available, different viewing choices available. And I think, you know, give it another five years. We may figure it all out. Cinema chains would probably balk at the idea that they're going to think that their, their business model is getting, you know, pilfered. If, you know, we're going to lose our audience, if they're also going to watch it at home, their, 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 their sacred, uh, you know, uh, concession sales, which is where they make their real money, uh, you know, but people, Still, I mean, we could sit here and complain, but a lot of people, when you're at the movie, you want something to chomp on. You're going to get that overpriced soda and popcorn and hot dogs. And, you know, in some theater chains, you have a full service bar. You sit there and get liquored up before the flick. So, I mean, I don't I don't see the I don't see any. I see everyone winning out of this. I want to see the numbers for states like Colorado that have legal uh, recreational marijuana. I want to know if theater attendance is up. And if concession sales are up, I think people are probably paying one ticket price and doing what we did in the seventies, man. You just go into a theater and theater hop. They don't clear you out. You just sit there and stay or just sneak into the next screen and whatever. And just to make a day of it where I live and and, and in my area, that's really, really easy to do. And no, they don't check. They really don't give a fuck. It's everyone's first job, you know, either working in a grocery store, sacking groceries or, or a, a theater, you know, picking up popcorn after everyone in the theater. They don't give a shit whether you go into the right screen or not. Honestly, I really thought digital format entertainment would have hurt a theater chain's uh, bottom line long ago. And the fact that there's still movie theaters, I think, is kind of commendable. And uh, I still want more of a reason to go to a theater, though, because slapping on some cheap uh, 3D glasses in a lot of movies that are converted to 3D and post isn't that incentive for me. I need something a little bit more to endure getting out of my house and being stoned in public and, you know, everything that goes with that. Looking at our chat room, Jez Oldfield says, I hate that shit anyway, regarding the, 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 the food aspect of going to the theater. If you can't stop stuffing your face for two hours, ah, I say... It's good that you stuff your... I don't want to hear them sitting there laughing and talking during the fucking movie, man. <laughs> it's a little obnoxious. No, but I hate the fucking crinkling rappers, too. And again, we live in a day and age. We're in 2015. Why can't a company produce a rapper that doesn't fucking crinkle in your ear? That's really more what it boils down to. The marketing, the packaging material. It doesn't need to crinkle or crackle. Ladies... God bless you for having those big handbags and purses so we can just hit the dollar store ahead of time and load up with candy there. Jez Olfeld in the chat says, a smoking section. Yeah, that would probably get me up to a theater more often. <laughs> Be it tobacco or marijuana, you know, give me that liberty and I'll throw some money at you. Activision and Blizzard, you know, they're known for their games. And uh, I'm sure everyone has seen by now the Warcraft trailer, first a teaser and then a full-blown trailer, the 
trailer didn't really excite me at all, but uh, I know there's some people out there that think this is going to be the second coming. They want to uh, do a full-on cinematic experience. I think we were just talking last episode about still waiting for that good movie tie-in game. and uh, uh, Not movie tie-in game, but a good um, video game-based movie. <laughs> game tie-in movie. <laughs> I defy you to get this stone and fucking do a show. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, Activision Blizzard has announced the launch of Activision Blizzard Studios, and I gotta just commend them right there for their name. But anyways, uh, it's a new television and film studio devoted to creating original content based on the company's extensive library of iconic and globally recognized intellectual properties. Now, and that I do have to give that to them because some of these titles are, you know, Call of Duty, Skylanders, Diablo, Hearthstone, StarCraft. Um, yeah, I would hope that if you throw enough at the wall, something might stick. Uh, this all comes post the World of Warcraft thing, so I think that was a separate deal. But going forward, um, what they're talking about is kind of having that cinematic universe similar to uh, what Marvel's doing. And I wonder if that means in the future that you're going to see the games uh, throwing nods and more shares that they might be all in this uh, shared universe. But I don't know. I think it's ballsy. I think it's a ballsy move. They're, they're two of the biggest names in uh, game content and to come together with the specific intent of uh, television series and, and films. I don't know. The first one they're talking about that's already in production is Skylanders, Skylanders Academy, which is an animated TV series based on the Skylanders game. And uh, that's currently in the production from showrunner Eric Rogers of Futurama. And I dig the fuck out of Futurama, so who knows? But what about the StarCraft people? You know, I mean, I don't play either, but I know their their fan base is huge and they would probably all show up whether any I mean, money's green no matter how it's spent. But if you go there to either watch a train wreck or legitimately want them to succeed, see the numbers that these games post. I mean, what, five hundred and fifty million dollar profit on day one of the Call of Duty uh Black Ops 3, I think, this past week. Something just ludicrously large. So so much more bigger than a movie profit because you're paying $60 a pop for, for the game, first of all. But it's impressive numbers. Absolutely. And uh, according to this article, Skylanders is a $3 billion franchise. Holy shit. Um, so on top of this, they're, they're you know breaking up the team. So you have a second uh, team that's working on just a Call of Duty franchise. Uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare remains the number one selling title on next generation consoles today. And, uh, you know, you get Call of Duty Black Ops 3. So a Call of Duty film is guaranteed. So hope you're looking forward to that. Jez Oldfield in our chat room says, let's face it, pixels got made. Anything is possible. That's very, very true. Hell, you know, since it's Activision, we could go back and see uh, a Pitfall movie. Let's go back to Atari 2600 and just make movies of all that. Yars Revenge. You're scaring me because, you know, some executive out there is hearing the words come out of your mouth and nodding in agreement going, yeah, how come you haven't done that yet? <laughs> Bring me in on the meeting and throw, throw me as a royalty or something. I, I think that's probably, you know, the, the one last bastion of our childhood that hasn't had a big theatrical run yet. So yeah, let's go through the whole Atari 2600 catalog and make them all movies. And we already got E.T. And we got the worst game of all time. So we can leave that one alone. Pitfall. That'd be interesting. And, you know, as a nod, they should bring uh, Jack Black in to play the, the Pitfall Harry since he was in the early commercials when that first came out on the Atari. I remember over a decade ago, there was talk about making a Pitfall movie with Bruce Campbell. I'm sure he's glad he didn't do that because from what I understand, what he's doing now is really, really impressive and people are digging the fuck out of it. Ash versus Evil Dead. Oh, hell yeah. I got I still got to watch it because I don't have stars. I'm going to find a way, damn it. I am impressed that uh, Sam Raimi's attached to that. That's That's pretty cool. We lost the late, great Robin Williams. Of course, when, when he went on to voice the genie in Disney's Aladdin, that pretty much sent a, a, that just opened the floodgate for a whole new renaissance of celebrity voiceover for animated films and, and TV, which voice actors, obviously, we have a boon of contention with. But, you know, obviously, it, it turns into dollar signs more often than not, especially with the House of Mouse and everything. 
Uh, this is an interesting thing that has come up since Robin Williams passed away. When Aladdin came out of VHS, again, we're back on the VHS thing, uh, I was working in a toy store. It was a subsidiary of KB Toys, and I worked at the male action aisles specifically. And at the end of the aisle was where the uh, entertainment section started, and they had a TV with a built-in uh, VCR, and it played Aladdin on a loop. And I must have seen this movie, I'm not even exaggerating, 250, 300 times uh, just because of my employment. So it is a movie that I actually do uh, hold kind of near and dear to me. But um, what this this story is more about is that there's tons of material that never made it to the final cut. Robin Williams improvised a lot of his dialogue as the genie. Um, Well, all this material that piled up it's pretty confirmed that it won't be seen on a big screen, at least, for at least 25 years. And an unnamed Disney uh, former executive told the Times of London that when he was on form, the hyperactive motor mouth we love from Good Morning Vietnam, Hook, Dead Poet Society, and Mrs. Doubtfire, Robin Williams was making 30 jokes a minute. And now, because he insisted on a final say on such material, the jokes, that is, uh, they're going to remain in the vaults. And this legal, this legal wrinkle actually uh, led Disney to scrap a plan to make a fourth Aladdin movie. And uh, I can't say that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, generally, when somebody passes and, and don't have that creative input in the product, things don't always uh, turn out that well. I'm kind of surprised Disney would even want to go that route because I thought that they, as this giant corporate conglomerate, would have a little bit more respect. I think that wound's still a little too fresh. If Disney announced next year that there was a new Aladdin movie coming out with uh, Robin Williams as the genie, how would you take that? I don't know that you could really construct that much of a plot with the pre-existing unused audio. I mean, there's outtakes on the new DVD and Blu-ray that they put up, pulled out of their vault and is now available, which is great. I'm sure, and it's a, you know, an ironically timed sort of tribute because I'm sure when these things are planned and everything, you don't anticipate, you know, that your your lead actor is going to pass away by any means. So I'm not sure how much could really logically be done with what it has. But if there's a clause in his estate's contract saying, you know, you can't use this stuff for anything for X amount of years or whatnot, I mean, they, they've got other they've got other properties they can move on. They already made two direct video things i think by the time the third one came back robin williams was wooed back because he won a settlement with the with the court or actually i guess he won outright when he sued disney for profits from aladdin's because it did so well and i think he was only paid like seventy five thousand dollars you know a drop a lot of money to you and me but a, a fucking nothing compared to your typical celebrity payroll nowadays especially on you know something like dreamworks or or the current Disney batch. There's actually a lot to that story. And you're right. He was paid $75,000 for his involvement with Aladdin. But um, he was so butthurt over that. And then again, I can't say unjustifiably. But he was so butthurt over that. That he, um, when he was doing the, the talk show circuit, talking about Aladdin, he was very public about forbidding Disney from using um, his voice for any promotion for the movie. There, you could show clips of the genie. That's that's your character, but he expressly prohibited them for for uh, having his voice out there promoting any tie-ins or or merchandise or anything. And yeah, you know, look it up, read it. It's very interesting. You, you get different takes from different people that knew uh, Robin Williams intimately, uh, some Disney executives, and they all kind of share their their thoughts on that. Some say, you know. He was being a fuck because he was being greedy and wanted more money. And some people support his argument that, yeah, it's, it's fucking Disney. Of course, it was going to make tons of money. You should have probably paid him a little bit more. I guess a learning experience for everyone. Yes, yes. Hit girl to become the Little Mermaid. And I thought immediately, oh, God, now she's a Disney princess. <laughs> he had uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, big with the teen crowd and everything. She's not a little girl anymore. Although Hit Girl could become, you know, its own franchise in its own. But she was announced in a new Little Mermaid live action adaptation. It's the modern day equivalent of those really crappy B movies that come out with names similar to big movies that are in theaters. So it's a much more high end fuck you at Disney. Disney, of course, has been on this kick uh, in the last couple of years and into the foreseeable future of taking a lot of their animated classics and re-envisioning them as live action properties 
Uh, we Again, we've had quite a few of those with a lot more coming up. Uh, Jungle Book, ironically, does look a little interesting, uh, but everything else is kind of poop. So Universal has decided to jump on board because the one thing that Disney's done is they've pillaged the fuck out of the public domain. Now, that's an argument for another day because the reason copyright laws keep changing is all um, dependent on when Mickey Mouse is going to fall into the public domain. And then Disney always battles with the courts and probably throws billions of dollars in politicians' pockets, and they always modify the laws so that Mickey Mouse won't fall into the public domain. Anyways, having said all that, um, because a lot of these properties are public domain, Universal is actually beating Disney to the punch with a Little Mermaid film, uh, which I truly do believe will cause some brain confusion. Now, of course, Disney can't do anything about it because it's public domain. I guarantee you they will not be calling her Ariel in this film. She will definitely have a different name uh, for trademark reasons. But uh, I kind of I, I have to laugh and nod with Universal. I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, beat them to the punch. It's public domain. And that probably destroys Disney's chances of doing a live action a live action adaptation of little mermaid you see something that's not disney but it's trying to be disney i don't know how many people are going to go into that going yeah this is so superior finally or is it just going to be everyone kind of turning the nose up at it going ha you're trying to be disney well yeah and that was my knee-jerk reaction how you're trying to be disney but i mean it's universal it's not uh kind of fly by night studio so i think it's going to have some decent uh production value we don't really don't have anything on um who's writing the script or who's directing, but I'm pretty sure they're going to put, you know, a decent budget together and, and a decent promotional campaign. I would, however, like to see them go with the original storyline uh, because it's dark as hell. Um, she feels like she's getting stabbed with knives with every step she takes on land. She has her tongue cut out and ultimately she ends up killing herself because the prince picks another woman over her. So if that's the version you want to be, bring to the big screen you've already got my money for that one so maybe it'll be rated r it'll be like closer to the original source material <laughs> that is like nothing like the disney uh what they did i mean you could see you go to buzzfeed or something like that and see the comparisons between the disney animated princesses and the actual stories that they were based on and how there's so much more death and gore and, and extremely like disturbing shit going on. It's like, all right, here, let's water it down for kids. Well, you're gonna have to change the fuck out of it. Yeah. 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 There's that. They won't have the, the type of uh, merchandise blitz. I think uh, Disney always has with their films, but fuck. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny to watch them in the studio, you know, step in and try to break up their monopoly over these properties. Yeah, our our chat room's bringing up. Hey, how about Popeye? What, what you remember Robin Williams in that one? I saw that terrible movie, but <laughs> so god awful. But I remember it as a kid and, and liking it. And then now you have an animated Popeye in the works coming out. It's like, hey, let's just leave it in the thing. I mean, I, I mean, Peanuts. At least they left that animated. It seems to be generally well regarded from critics and, and, and fans alike that they left it animated. I mean, yeah, it's still CG and they they changed it up a little bit, but but overall. And they're kind of doing the same sort of CG treatment to Popeye, where it looks a little bit old school, a little bit new, a little, you know, mixing the technologies, I guess, or visually anyway. Stay away from the live action adaptations. Just stick to what you know. Stick with what works. You know, it's just funny because there's a lot of hypocrites online in society. We, we had this switch over to digital movie making and all the, all the Pixar type films and it's not what we're used to. We want 2D hand-drawn cell animation. And then, you know, again, Don Bluth and Gary Goldman come up and they're like, hey, we'll make this fucking hand-drawn, hand-painted 2D animation. And nobody's throwing their money at them. And people are going to follow the, the, they're going to tow the party line, whether they want to admit it or not, the sheeple. And I keep saying, if people make horrible films and you keep going to watch them and it's your fault, we keep getting horrible films. I don't even know why we talk about movies on the podcast anymore because we try to warn these kids all the time. Don't go to see these fucking horrible films, but they're going to. And they're going to keep making more of them. But but lastly, as we wrap up our, our podcast, because we're getting short on time here, we do want to say props to Disney and J.J. Abrams for allowing a uh, terminal cancer patient, Daniel Fleetwood, uh, who's age 32, um, he got to see an unedited version of The Force Awakens just mere days before he unfortunately passed away. Uh, from the lung cancer. Um, so mad props for that. You had a, this online campaign, which made it possible. And you had folks like Mark Hamill, Peter Mayhew, and John Boyega from Force Awakens 
all really gunning for this screening to happen. A similar experience happened with a terminal patient for Star Trek II Into Darkness, and J.J. Abrams granted that terminal patient a chance to see it too. And of course, they had to sign non-disclosure agreements and whatnot, but you know, his dying wish literally was to watch the new Star Wars movie because he knew he wouldn't make it till release time. That was really down to the wire. So props, props to Disney, props to to J.J. J.J. uh, gave him a call before the screening and and get to speak with him. I do want to make a comment, and I don't want people to get upset with me saying this, but I do feel it needs to be said. Um, I I really feel bad for any family who has to endure a tragedy of somebody losing their life. And I am, again, ridiculously... uh, Grateful for Disney and, and Abrams and, and, and Captain Kennedy for making this happen for him. But he's not a hero, <laughs> you know? And I keep seeing it come across my social media feed. He's a hero. He's a hero. He's a hero. I don't understand how he's a hero. Um, he didn't really do anything all that spectacular. And he was actually quite fortunate to be afforded the opportunity that he was. So, yes, while, while I do have a great deal of sympathy for his family and uh, a lot of respect for the people that came together for makes this to happen, um, please stop just throwing around the word hero like it's it's like a fucking dime store styrofoam cup. Given the awful, awful circumstances, he died very, very peacefully in his sleep, which is the way anyone I w- would, would think want to go. Except you, Steve. I remember you telling me that if you had to, if you had to die, you wanted to go out like Dimebag Daryl. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking what an asshole. He, I, I, I had the displeasure of spending some time with him, and he was a straight up fucking douche. And I, I've throughout my my life of attending concerts and getting to know quite a few professional musicians, I, I've uh, been in, in two fist fights. And, and one fist fight was with Dimebag Daryl, and and the second fist fight was with uh, Jason Newstead as a member of Metallica. So uh, I'm not above brawling with a rock star. <laughs> um, so maybe that's how I'll go out, you know, when the cops show up and they decide they have to shoot me. <laughs> yeah. Hero zero zero four in our chat room wants to die in sword combat. I'm sure everyone out there wants to die in a very unique way. I have to decide. I think the Daniel Fleetwood way in sleep because you ain't gonna know it's just yeah i'm gonna go to sleep right now and just not wake up i hope it's relatively painless you know i I hope i'm not bleeding out for hours or something i I don't want to be in a hospital with with tubes and shit you know just let me go right there (laughs) all right well thanks cocaine and whores francisco hero 004 jez oldfield otaku mama everyone listening to our podcast whether it's live on smodco internet radio or on demand on your on itunes or your favorite podcast catcher or smodcast.com thank you so much for listening to our show we'll be back next week for our year anniversary what the fuck man it's crazy but until next time this is kyle Bear, and this is other world steve see ya special thanks to will wilkins and jason peer music provided by zero reynolds Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email thebigballbroadcast at gmail.com.